<clears throat> Howdy. Okay, that needs to be way better after last night. Howdy. Awesome. All right, if you, uh, if you look at your bulletin on the left side on the top, <clears throat> it says worship and message. Um, I am not Wayne Broderick. Um, my name is Jeremy, and I get to serve on staff here if I haven't gotten to meet you yet. <clears throat> Wayne is not feeling well. So um, I get to come off the bench like Calzada in the AM game. And <clears throat> now, the, the hope is, though, you know, it took him the third game. You're the second service. I practiced earlier. Um, I'm just going to see how this goes. Um, thankful for Wayne. He is feeling better, um, but it was wise for him to stay and rest. Um, and so pray for him to continue to get better. Um, and uh, grateful for him. And we have such a great friend and uh, uh, shepherd, under shepherd with us. He's prepared. So most of what you will hear today is his work. I'm just going to um, share it with you because I've been learning alongside of him. Um, but that's what we're going to do. So we're going to dive in today. <clears throat> Question for you. Have you ever watched somebody squander an inheritance? You ever seen that happen? Maybe personally or maybe from afar. Have you ever seen that happen? It happens quite often, it seems. Let me read this story. It's a familiar story. Um, Luke 15, beginning of verse 11, says he, uh, it's Jesus, he also said, a man had two sons. Uh, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed this, the assets to them <clears throat> Not many days later, the this younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. This is a tragic example of one squandering an inheritance. Unless we think that this is just an old story from an old book, let's just take a look at what it could mean for someone in our day to just win the lottery. Now, winning the lottery and, and inheriting uh, money are, are two different things, but to understand the human condition, let's just take a, a, a quick look. I mean, if you've been paying attention, just last week in California, someone won the jackpot, uh, hitting the record-breaking $699.8 million dollars. That's a $496 million cash option before taxes. The question is, what will that individual do with it? What will they do with that? How will they handle it? And if, you've been paying, if you pay attention to anything about uh, statistics in lottery, um, listen to this. It says, lovemoney.com. Believe it or not, statistics show 70% of lottery winners end up broke, and a third go on to declare bankruptcy, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education. Running away, runaway spending, toxic investments, and poor accounting can burn through a lucrative windfall in next to no time. You can go through when you can go through a windfall in next to no time. It's not impossible. The Luke 15 describes that scenario. Now, these kind of windfalls are actually rare, um, and if they do happen, there's a lot of things that also come from the outside. National and state governments have a regular tendency to consider all legacies to be primarily the property of the state, even if the taxes were already paid. 
Scam artists watch for and prey on people who receive large amounts of money. And of course, our own stupidity works against us. Humans are quite adept at wasting unearned blessings. We're pretty good at that in our flesh. Truth is that Christian, we can be similar in our lives. We can treat the priceless as something trite. Our position is way better than a large sum of money from a relative or winning the lottery. Our inheritance from our Heavenly Father is richer than anything that you can even imagine, right? Like, it's bigger, it's better. Recently, uh, Thomas Campbell, one of our elders, was sharing devotional with, with, the, with the elders, and he was reminding us of the, the fact that creation is still groaning. So we can see beauty in creation. We can be reminded that the heavens tell the glory of God. We can be reminded of how big God is, how awesome he is, how wonderful he is. Like just yesterday, I came up to the men's conference yesterday morning, and the sunrise over the, uh, the, looking away from the hill here on Rogers was absolutely stunning of pinks and oranges. It was amazing. It just reminded me of God's goodness. But even that is pales in comparison to what we're going to see and experience when we are in eternity. Because creation still groans, it's still not, it's not perfect, it's not perfected yet. And we can, like the, the prodigal, we can waste what we have been given. Thankfully, though, our legacy, our inheritance in heaven cannot be stolen. The government can't take it away. I turn to 1 Peter we learn a little bit more about our inheritance. Because we can treat our inheritance as something trite, the Spirit of God moved in Peter to write and to remind our brothers and sisters then and for us now of what it means to, to recognize and take care of our inheritance. Beginning in verse 3, First Peter chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Now we're going to start, we're going to look at the first Word. The first word in verse 3 is blessed. Blessed. Evlolitos. Takes prefix, which means good and worthy, adds logos to it. Logos, the great term for words and ideas. Good word is the idea here of blessed. Good word. Because of that prefix, it means worthy. Worthy as well as good. And this is the right response. This is the right response. It's proper and, and good for the Father to receive praise. He should be blessed. And he should be blessed because of what he has done for us. If you look at the notes, self, our salvation, our inheritance sparks proper praise to God who is worthy. Our inheritance sparks proper praise to God who is worthy. Now, there's no doubt that there are difficult circumstances in our lives, correct? There are trials, sadness, loss, pain. 
In those moments, we can and we should cry out to our God. We should learn to take our, our, our cares to Him, our burdens to Him. At the same time, we must develop eyes to see the blessings as well. We need to see His goodness. We need to talk to Him about the blessings. We need to declare His worthiness, which is the proper response when we recognize our blessings. Peter addresses believers in Jesus and says to lift up your heads and speak up. You have this amazing inheritance. Stop and say thank you. Stop and say thank you. Is, think about your last week. Is that how you responded to God's amazing inheritance? Is that how you responded? Did you, did you respond with gratitude, with a thank you? Or did you squander the moment and complain and gripe? Demand your own. See, rightfully understood, rightly understood, our inheritance sparks proper praise to God because as we see in verse three, our blessing comes through God's mercy. It comes from God's mercy. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have you ever, have you ever thanked somebody and felt self-righteous about it? Like that's kind of a weird question, but have you ever thanked somebody and felt self-righteous about it? So, so here's the idea. So somebody does something for you, serves you in some capacity, and you thank them, you say thank you, but deep down you're mostly proud of yourself because you recognize that you needed to say thank you. And you're, you're recognizing that you're so gracious that you that you gave them time. They're working hard, but that is only right because you deserve their service. Anybody thought that way? The reality is that we, we do that to the Lord. We respond that way to the Lord. We have his amazing grace, but the proper praise is sometimes hollow. It's because we, we kind of get this idea that we're entitled. We're entitled to that blessing. We're entitled to that thing. We're, we deserve it. Ephesians 2 slams that door shut. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under the wrath as the others were also. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. No one deserves anything from God. Wayne shared this last week. This is his ongoing exhaustive list of humans who deserve blessings. He keeps it up to date, he told me. It's still empty. It's still empty. We deserve nothing except wrath. 
but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Amen. Amen. See, this is one of those wonderful big buts in Scripture. It changes everything. He's rich in mercy. He took the wrath on on himself and on his son. He placed it on his son on the cross so that we might have victory over death because he walked out of that grave. And because of that, when we trust in Jesus, we are raised to life. Verse 3, again, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our inheritance includes a new birth. A new birth. Wayne shared this with me. The historical context is really important. He says, Wayne says this, this, to most world peoples, including the Greco-Romans to whom Peter writes, life is all about decay. The pagan world was all about fading. Even when life was pleasant, it never could stay such. To the Mediterranean mind, life was short and painful and followed by endless nothingness, darkness. Sophocles wrote this to, to express that thought. He said, not to be born at all is best, far best that can befall. Next best when born with least delay to trace the backward way. For when youth passes with its giddy train, troubles on troubles follow, toils on toils, pain, pain, forever pain, and none escapes life's coils. Envy, sedition, strife, carnage, and war make up the tale of life. That was the dominant worldview of places of the places where Peter's audience lived. Seems that that's the dominant view where we live, or at least is becoming that. It's not worth it. It's nothing. There's, it's not worth living. It's not worth bringing a child into the world. This world. Have you heard that? So much so that we just dispose of infant in the womb out of convenience and fear. But the look, if we look at the contrast between Sophocles and Peter, though, we find that it couldn't be any different. It's a different idea. It's a different mentality. It's a different attitude. Christians are reborn into life. The word used is anaganao, which means to be born again. That's where we get that phrase, born again. Those who trust in Jesus are born again. This is a different attitude than one that's rejecting life. Desiring to go back to nothing. The Christian is established in an entirely new life. You've been made new. And this is a living hope. Living hope. In other parts of the world, people would have rejected Sophocles' conclusion because they were beginning to believe in an endless cycle of new births. The term is reincarnation. Reincarnation can sound pleasant to some until you actually pay attention and realize that it just means a constant cycle of struggle. A constant cycle of struggle. You live this life, it's bad enough, and then you're going to do it again. And you do it again, and you're going to do it again, and you're going to do it again. That doesn't sound too fun, does it? This is why Siddhartha Gautama broke away and started Buddhism. 
He was appalled at the idea of endless reincarnation into sin, but his conclusion was to reach a hopeless nothingness. Again, look at Peter's text. It's a living hope. It's a living hope. Both Hindu reincarnation and Buddhist nirvana are hopeless. One subjects the human to eternal effort tainted with sin, the only real hope being the possibility of coming back as a cow. The other reduces the successful human to nirvana or nothingness. But God promises something greater, something better. He offers hope. And not just any hope, he offers living hope. This term is elpida. Positive reliance on something certain, hoping on not for something. Hoping on. Positive reliance that is something certain. It's not wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. You, you have those thoughts, right? Wishful thinking. As Wayne shared with me, thinking that the Rangers, hoping that the Rangers will win. <laughs> That's kind of the normal right now. We just hope that they win and they keep failing us. This is not that. Living hope is not that. It's different. It's certain. It's known. Listen to Norm Hillier explain this. He says, Peter is referring to something on a different order, of a different order, a sure and confident outlook which has a divine, not human, source. That new quality of hope is generated in the believer by the new spiritual life brought about by the new birth. This living hope highlights the fact that the present life is by no means the limit of the believer's expectation. The living hope in the newborn Christian has a vigor, a patient endurance, and an assurance beyond any human power. Such hope can no more fall than the living God who bestows it. End quote. This is living hope. Our inheritance sparks proper praise. It comes through God's mercy, includes a new birth, is a living hope, and is pure and permanent. It's pure and permanent. And into an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is it that you place your hope in, your wishful thinking in, that is fading? I'll give you an example of what I think some are, even today. Last night, my college won a really big game. That's right, I'm going to keep saying it because it's pretty fun. Won a really big game. It's fun. It was fun to watch the celebration. It was fun to celebrate. It was fun to text friends and, and get texts from friends because our team beat Alabama. I wasn't even there. I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything, but it's fun to get the text. Guess what? It's fading, though. It's fading. Why? Because we lost two games in the last two weeks. It's like, okay, now what? It doesn't last. Teams win. Teams lose. Coaches get changed, players get hurt, it doesn't last. Peter, his use of these words, unbreakable, no decay possible, undefiled, no corruption, unfading, not, they cannot diminish, diminish, it can't go away, it's beautiful. That's a different that's a different statement than what we think about it every day. 
This is our inheritance. 1 Peter 1.5 says this, you are being guarded by God's power through faith here for salva a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is this permanent perfection is guarded by God. Our souls are protected by the triune almighty God himself. We're protected. We're cared for. We're secure. This may, become a, this may come as a surprise to you, but many people in the world live by fear. Like you realize that, right? Fear of losing one's investments or governments or anarchy or loss or sickness or death or masks or no masks or shots or no shot. Like there's, there's fear everywhere. Well, look again at the verse. Look again at the verse. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God is guarding the salvation. It's secure. We are guaranteed to have ultimately that salvation revealed. We do not need to fear losing it. God is guarding it. You have nothing to fear. Wayne shared this um, that 11 years ago. He read this statement in an article. He read this statement article. It says, we are encouraged to fear all manner of things for our finances, for our health, for the planet. Let us dissuade our contemporaries from listening to the fear mongers. Let's use our freedom, not fear, to save the world. John Philip, the soul. As a response, Wayne typed this uh, in his journal. He said, that's Peter's contrast in a nutshell. One either shares the good news that we can believe in God's provision, or one teaches people to fear. I hear lots of Christians living in fear these days. We must instead trust in God, our mighty fortress, then in our Christian freedom, not fear, help save the world, end quote. That's what we get to do. We get to walk in freedom that Jesus has given to us and help save the world. And that's because our inheritance is not based on anything flimsy, it's based on faith. Our inheritance is based on faith. Most of the world thinks that salvation must be earned, that you're going to climb a high enough mountain, you're going to work hard enough to be good, and you're going to become better and good, and you're going to earn salvation. The problem is most of us can't even get out of the parking lot of church without having an evil thought. We slip up. We miss the mark. We deny his goodness. We, we take, try to take back our, our own power and, and, and rely on ourselves. We can't earn it. God says to trust through faith. Through faith, it's trust. No human effort or activity is, in, is, is, is worthy. It's faith alone, sole fide. Trust the provision of God the Son. That's how we gain salvation. Earlier we read, we read Paul's uh, statement in Ephesians 2. Here are the next two verses, 8 and 9. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Believers in Jesus, you have this great salvation. 
You have this. You possess it. And it includes an inheritance that will be revealed perfect, untarnished. Is there anything that can take that away? Is there anything that can take that away? Romans 8 35 says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Answer this. What is it that can separate us from God's grace once we have trusted him? Nothing. Nothing. We should say that louder too. What can separate us from from the grace of God once we have trusted him? What is it? Nothing. 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 Let's read this together. You read the underline. Who can, what, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, will be able to separate us from the love of God. Amen. That is the hope that we stand in undaunted. That's the hope that we get to stand in undaunted. Rest in that hope. The reality is, like the prodigal son, though, we can treat this inheritance like trash. We can treat this inheritance like trash. And though... Our inheritance is certain once we trust Jesus. Nothing can take it away. I can't earn it. I'm not powerful enough to gain it. And so I'm not powerful enough to, to, to lose it. And yet we can miss opportunities for reward and glory now if we treat it as something worthless or trite. When life is hard, when the earthly troubles are big in our eyes, we should appreciate and understand our great self. Trials are real, and trials happen, and they actually do help. If we pay attention, they help us appreciate our inheritance, and that's because the struggles reveal the worth of our faith. The trials reveal the worth of our faith. You rejoice in this, verse 6, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials strengthen us because outside pressures reveal the word of faith. Outside pressures reveal the word of faith. The word used here, periosmos, Undeserved pressure from without, not inner temptation. We have enough to deal with with our inner temptations, but the reality is that we have pressures from without, correct? Ever been in a car wreck? Outside pressure coming in. The word used here is a word for somebody running a stoplighting, T-boning your car. Take a look at this uh, NASCAR race in 2020. Going to be able to push that Atlanta car back out front. More wreck. Around goes the 95. Oh, and the 37. Oh, hit. Oh, 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 my goodness. Oh, awful. Ryan Priest in the 37. Fantastic. That's Ryan talking. Glad to hear that. Probably the most 
sarcastic, fantastic I've ever heard. <laughs> fantastic. Ryan Priest walked away from that wreck unscathed. A massive outside pressure revealed the worth of his vehicle integrity. His equipment was shown to be superior. Most of our SUVs weigh about the same as Priest's car. It's all solid steel, has a roll cage. He's wearing a seven-point harness, seven harness and a helmet. Has a hands device. Seat wraps around his rib cage and shoulders. Um, he is in a very, very well-made vehicle. My Ford Escape looks a little different. They are made better now, and so they do protect us better, but it's still not quite that, and I'm not going that fast most days. <laughs> Just, kidding. Just kidding. God is declaring in 1 Peter that our trust in Jesus is sound. It's secure. Like Ryan Priest, we, if we trust in Jesus, we will get to heaven safely, no matter the unexpected blows and the wrecks of life. Verse 7, I find out that uh, proven character and refined are the same, from the same Greek root word, dokeo. For both refined and proven character, Peter built on the same term because it's something completely trustworthy. Dokeo is solid. It's solid. And the reason why that matters is because it means that each term Describing is absolutely trustworthy, proven character, refined. It's trustworthy. It's been tested because of experience. It's proven by test. Outside pressures that we face actually reveal our faith. We reveal that our faith is well-founded. When things happen to us and we respond in praise and glory and honor to the Lord, it reveals that we know the creator because he is trustworthy your faith keeps your soul safe all the way to heaven every blow every wreck can serve if you pay attention how safe you are inside of him passage wraps up so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold which though perishable is refined by fire may result in praise glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The English here in pray, with praise, honor, and glory is a little bit difficult to apply both to human and deity. The CSB makes it sound like it is just directed to God. It is, but it also has the, the meaning that is directed also to us. The Little Living Bible says this, these trials will show that your faith is genuine it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ, Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The reality is that the text is describing praise, glory, and honor coming to both God and to humans he saves. Sounds kind of odd. Why would we get to participate in the pop and circumstance? Our salvation is all by grace. The simple answer is that we receive blessings because we are precious to the Lord. We are precious to the Lord. And like precious metals, we are 
worth so much to him that he loads us down with honor. Our faith journey brings glory to him that he reflects back on us. Let's go back to a moment to Luke 15. I'm sorry, I don't have this slide. Luke 15, the end of the prodigal son's story says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father told his servants, quick. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring that fatted calf, kill it, slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The Lord lavishes on us the richness of his grace. Our faith journey brings praise, honor, and glory. And it will one day be fully revealed. And this term is important too, the revelation. This is a word meaning that it is present but unseen, not the return of one absent. It's not just that Jesus Christ has revealed the word shows that Jesus, God the Son, was here with us all along. He's with us all along. It doesn't mean the return of one absent, but rather the disclosure of one present but unseen. Think about that for a moment. Believer in Jesus, are you ever alone? No. no. We might feel alone. We might feel the hurt, the pressure from the outside. We might feel like no one understands and no one gets it. No one has to do what I have to do. But the good shepherd walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So I don't have to fear evil. He walks with me. I'm not alone. The honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's here. And one day we will see him differently, physically. So while we may suffer various trials now, we are never alone. And that brings praise, honor, and glory. In the frustrations of life, we do not need to ruin our inheritance. Think about the things that seemingly are wrecking your life now. What is exerting pressure on your soul? without trying to deny the pain, trying to mask the pain, pay attention, rest in Jesus. Rest in the fact that he's got you, he's not leaving you. And learn from the trial how big your God is. 1990, superstar Gloria Estefan was returning from a meeting with the president who recruited her to uh, help with an anti-drug campaign. On a slick highway, her vehicle was smashed 
by an out-of-control semi. Her back was broken and Gloria could not walk. She worked through months of painful surgeries and rehab. Gloria and her husband wrote this poem together. Why be afraid if I'm not alone? Life is never easy, but coming out of the dark, I finally see the light now, and it's shining on me coming out of the dark. I know the love that saved me, sharing with me. Starting again is part of the plan. I'll be so much stronger holding your hand step by step. I'll make it through. I, can, I know I can. may not make it easier, but I have felt you near all the way. Ever I stand on the rock of your love, ever, ever. Can't nobody stop me. Watch me. End quote. Now, whether that was meant biblically or not, it does capture a, a glimpse of glory, praise, and honor because of the revelation of Jesus that he is here now. He's here now. And all that praise and honor physically for Gloria, nine months later, she walked onto that stage and sang a poem, sang that poem. Our inheritance from the Lord is solid. So solid that even trials can bring praise and glory and honor to God. One last example. A couple weeks ago, Ken Berkstead uh, of our curriculum team forwarded this letter to Wayne. This letter says this. Says, my, hi, my name is Del Samandel, and I currently serve on the pastoral staff at First Evangelical Free Church of Chicago as the interim, past, interim senior pastor. I am writing to ask for your prayers. In, two, in September 2017, I lost sight in my left eye because of a non-arteritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy. It basically means that there was a sort of mini stroke in the blood vessels around my optic nerve. The tissue became swollen and consequently part of the nerve died. Earlier this week, I began to have the same problem with my right eye. God is good even in suffering. We can be sad and joyful at the same time because he always answers prayers in ways that he knows to be best for us. I trust him in this. As Peter indicates in 1 Peter 1, the antidote to suffering is not worry, but worship. I choose to praise him even in lament. I expect I will be able to see better because of all of this. Lord, open the eyes of my heart and use this experience for your glory, praise, and honor. Amen. And then he asked this, so would you pray with us? Dell asked, he said, that the Lord might prevent the complete loss of sight. That even if I lose my sight, listen to this, even if I lose my sight, I can adapt swiftly to continue serving and ministry at First Free Church. And third, that our church can embrace the call to praise in spite of suffering and trials. Many prayed for Dell, and that praise brought, uh, that, that brought praise to God and honor to Dell as he stood firm in hope. Wayne shared that got word last Wednesday that the erosion in his right eye has arrested. He can still see through that eye, and it hasn't gotten worse. How amazing is that? How amazing it is that his attitude and his living hope was that, I just want to figure out how to keep serving. Even if I lose my sight, I want to figure out how to keep serving. And indeed, the, the last statement, that our church can embrace the call to praise in spite of suffering and trials. And that would be our prayer for each other, that we would embrace the trials, standing on the living hope, living undaunted, because we are firm in our Savior. Let's pray. Almighty God, 
We thank you that, uh, that we can stand firm. Though the pressures of life may be great, you protect us. Our salvation is secure, sealed by your spirit, can never be taken away from us no matter what happens. Father, I ask that we would take that truth and not um, use it as a, as a way to, to live with license and still do what we own want to, to ask for forgiveness later flippantly, but God, that we would be mindful that we would not live like the prodigal, but that we would take the inheritance and, and rest in it, relish in it, and share it. That we would share it with others so that they may know your great love for them. That though I was dead in my trespasses, you made me alive to walk new, born again, to have an abundant life, a life of joy and hope and peace. For anybody here that does not know you, God, I ask that you would pierce their heart right now and show them that they need you, that they are dead to you, that your son Jesus died on the cross for the sin, their sins and that he rose again to defeat, to defeat death and, and conquer it and to give us life. And I ask that they would put their faith in you, walk with you, and learn what it means to have a living hope. In Jesus' name, amen.